welcome to another episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello, broads. We just both took a good, really deep breath. We took a deep breath. We took a deep breath for numerous reasons. First of all, we're recording this on Monday, November 2nd. So this will be coming out on Wednesday, November 4th. And yesterday started official election day. So we don't know. Oh, my God. What's going to like? Obviously, by Wednesday, let's, let's remember the votes will still be coming in. Yeah. Um, I mean, we might know, no, you know, the, I don't I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. It'll it'll take, I think, some time with all the mail in record mail in ballots. Um, but yeah, so obviously we're coming from a place like from the past. We have no idea what's going on. So there's a deep breath because of that. There's also a deep breath because honestly, we're you and I are nervous. To oh, have yeah. This okay, conversation. Wait, first, before we start everything, let's actually do a deep breath. And and I'm saying everyone. I know there's the people like myself who are listening and you're like, I'm not actually there in person. These people don't know if I take a deep breath or not. But if you do a deep <laughs> breath, it's going to make you feel better. It's true. And it's going to make me feel better knowing mm-hmm. that you're doing this in the future. Mm-hmm. So just do it. <laughs> you ready? Okay. <sighs> and release. One more. <sighs> See, problem solved. And <laughs> we're just we're like fine that. now. <laughs> Everything's good. No, what Jess is saying is like, yeah, we, we're a little we're we're a little anxious for one. Yeah, this has been something that we've an episode we've been saying we were going to put out since June. Mm-hmm. And it's it's there's been a Five lot of for, it's ta- it's taken different forms and shapes. Right. So initially we had contacted a few a few people right in the wake of George Floyd's murder. And um, it was immediate that many of them said we need time to just. Oh, process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we were going to come back. And then when we did come back, we we're like, we feel like we need a panel. We needed to have more discussion. So then we we're trying to coordinate that. Different people, different I mean, times didn't work. But then when Becca brought up, hey, let's just have broads on, it made sense. I'm like, we, we feel that, you know, our show, one of the things that's been our favorite thing about having chatty broads is that there's been this community that started. And I feel like a conversation like this is a perfect time to have broads talking to broads. Like this is a family conversation. Yeah. And I'm going to be honest about a couple things. One, I don't think either of us have any idea how to navigate whatever the post-election results are. Mm -hmm. I think that there's going to be a lot of like unrest regardless of what the outcome is. And I don't have any idea how to begin to grapple with that or Mm -hmm. discuss it. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just, that's just difficult in and of itself. But I think that also you know, we've been sort of so. So that's why I also think this is like a really good time for it, because regardless yeah. of the outcome, I think that this is more relevant than ever. And Absolutely. I also think it's nice that we did end up doing it months in the future, because a lot of the momentum and the enthusiasm yes. surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and just the general um, the discussion about anti-racism activism has sort of you know, died off as it happens after the initial, you know, passion mm-hmm. following mm-hmm. something so dramatic that, you know. Right. But anyway, I think we've also been just anxious because this is like a big topic for us to try to tackle, which is another reason why we're doing it in two parts. And 
you know, we always get anxious that we're going to fuck up and that we're going to do something Mm -hmm. that we're going to not say the right thing, that we're not going to cover enough perspectives, that we're going to forget. Sorry for the cricket in the background. That is just popping off. Um, (laughs) But, you know, there's always a worry that that you're not going to get something right, that someone's going to get pissed off, that someone's going to feel like left out. Mm -hmm. And obviously we don't want any of those things to happen. And we want people to feel seen and heard and we want to be thorough. So this that's just to say that it this probably won't this conversation won't be perfect. But you yeah. know, we aren't perfect, but we're we're definitely trying and I hope that we can all try together. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think too, you know, with um initially when then Becca mentioned just having broads come on, I was thinking we're gonna have to have a few broads and then a few uh guests that we select, but so many broads were willing to come on, which was just, which was amazing to the point where Becca and I said, let's just have a conversation with broads right now to two parts worth. We're going to have different guests next week than we're having this week. And there were so many options of people pouring in. So if, um, you know, if you are not on this panel, please don't feel bad. It's just, you know, it, it's, it's it. there was an overwhelming we're, response. We're trying so. to make sure that we were in as inclusive as possible with all the different people, uh, broads that came in. Also, um, like Becca was saying, you know, this is obviously not a comprehensive, you know, unfortunately, we didn't necessarily get um, someone from every race and walk of life to come discuss this. So this is not going to cover. Yeah. And just perspective, everyone. you know, people grow up in different areas of the country and different yeah. financial situations. Yeah. So by no means are we going to be able to, like, discuss everyone's perspective. Right. And with that being said, you know, again, this is going to be a two part. We're recording both parts today. So then when the following one comes out, um, we want to hear feedback, but it will have been recorded already, just so you all know. But also, if there is something that this stirs up that you're like, we need to have another episode about this, please let us know. For example, we did have a broad who was going to be um, indigenous representation today. And unfortunately, it just didn't work out. We would love to have an episode specifically um, about indigenous peoples, highlighting issues. Um, we want to have a conversation about, um, anti-Semitism. There are these things that we want to have a conversation about in the future. Um, and there's no reason we can't cover it in the future. Exactly. Exactly. But with this specific conversation, we have these amazing broads who are willing to come on. So we are going to have this episode first. Like we said, we're going to have two episodes, but Mm -hmm. this specific first episode, we're going to kind of have a conversation. A general overview, right? Yes, exactly. We're going to talk a little bit about some personal experience. Also, you know, what is racism? Yeah, a general overview. Um, and then our second conversation is going to be a little more education-based, law-based, um, but all just a group of amazing broads. I'm so excited. And also, you know, obviously we have these panels and there's many broads so not everyone is able to um speak as much or dive into their story so um what we're planning on doing um is that each of the broads are going to record on their own just you know a few minutes about themselves and their story and how they've dealt with uh with racism and we'll put that together and uh, make that a bonus episode. No, but we wanted to talk more about um, personal experiences with racism and microaggressions. But, you know, we're talking about so much other meat and potato stuff. We mm-hmm. want to have a chance to get into all of that while giving each person, you know, like you said, their shot. To- yeah. 
because these are a, to, to, an, am, an amazing group of broads. Yeah. We're so thankful for all of them. So um, are you ready to get into this episode, B? Yeah, let's do it. Let's chat, broads. Well, okay, broads, here we are. Here is the room. We have our first panel of broads, and this is so exciting. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. We, first of all, thank you so much, all of you, for being willing to come on here and share. It means so much. Um, if you're not on the YouTube watching this, we are currently joined by six broads. So there are eight broads in not this house. Not including, yeah, I was going to say not including <laughs> there us. There are eight broads in this house. We are broad squad strong. So getting right into it, can we do introductions so the broads know? What we were thinking is we can just kind of go one by one and you all can let us know a little smidgy of background, why you initially contacted us mm. when we put out the question saying that we want to have an anti-racism episode. Um, sound good? Okay, I'll start. <laughs> um, um, my name is Shimiso. I am part of the Chatty Broad Squad. Um, so longtime listener. This is my first time, oh, second time on a podcast. Um, and what motivated me to reach out to you guys about this anti-racism episode is because I've never um, really shared my own personal experience. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that it's going to be powerful for myself and my community to hear kind of what I've gone through. Um, and also just to have an open discussion about anti-racism and um, just the, like, just the difference within different communities. So I'm from also Toronto, Canada. So <laughs> um, yeah, so just hearing about the wake of uh, George Floyd and what it means to be an ally. I've just really been challenged over these last few months really to work on myself and to mm. really learn what it takes to be an ally in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and just being um, an ally within my own community. So I'm very excited for this discussion because I, I, I just love to talk to other people about this stuff and uh, why not with the Chatty Broads? <laughs> cool. Amazing. Thank you so much, Misa. Um, I'm Catherine. Um, I am a junior in college, so it's a bit rough right now. I'm taking the LSATs on Saturday, Ooh. so I'm just kind of, my brain <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Um, so anyways, um, I decided to email you guys about this topic just because um, I think that black women, which is what I wanted to talk about mostly, um, are very misunderstood community. Mm. And I think that the world really needs to learn more about them and all the amazing things that they've done. Mm. And so I just wanted to help educate on that subject because I have a lot of books that I am going <laughs> to recommend. <laughs> um, yes. My capstone is on the intellectual history of Black women, so... That's why I'm a bit like intense about this subject right now. Yeah. Awesome. Eleanor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hi, I'm Eleanor, um, also known as Ellie. My friends and family call me that. I just graduated in June from the University of Washington, where I studied law societies and justice. Um, and in that major, we, it, we had many discussions about race and anti-racism and what it means to be an ally. So I 
absolutely love having these types of discussions with people and have missed like since graduating have have missed the opportunity to discuss these things on a regular basis. And so that is a big reason um, as to why I emailed y'all. And then I also, I was adopted transracially as an infant. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like that sort of little niche um, has given me a a unique perspective um, on the events that have been going on for a long time, but that have been highlighted this year, especially. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Andrea? Um, Hi, Uh, my name is Andrea. I'm 28. Uh, I'm from El Paso, Texas. I'm going to graduate this uh, December. Um, My major is not political per se, mainly uh, science. Um, But I think ever since Donald Trump started his campaign, racism has been a part of history ever since this country was founded. But I think that the Donald Trump running and now being president exploded and it made us see how racism is still here and how it's a big issue. Um, I'm Mexican-American. My family has been here since Texas was part of Mexico. Yet I still hear people say, go back to where you came from. I'm like, my people have been here before you have been here. Mm. And Native Americans have been here since before you were here. So what are you talking about? Um, I email you because I think each and every one of us has a story to tell. And it's Mm. important to learn from others' experiences. So you can, we can maybe help this crisis that we currently have here in the country, because that's, what we're having, we're having a crisis and everybody's, their emotions are up to here because election day is coming and all the protests and everything. It's just, I think it's my time. It's time for me to do my part mm. to help educate and try to stop what's going on in this country. Thank you so much. All right, well, we have a we have a broad couple. We have <laughs> Anthony and Monica. <laughs> We're a brupple. <laughs> Hi, I'm Monica. Um, I have been listening to y'all for a long time. And my husband here is Anthony. He is a social justice educator. And if you're not watching the YouTube, I am a white woman. What? <laughs> this is news to me, y'all. This is breaking. But, but yeah, I really... Anthony is really good at what he does. I've seen him in action. And since before we were together, social justice issues were important to me. Um, But he really has made me even better about these things and helped me challenge some of my assumptions and see how, you know, I've always been like a card carrying feminist, but to see how white supremacy and misogyny are just, you know, really linked and, and how we have to have an intersexual approach to these things. But Mm. He can tell you a lot more about his experience. I mean, I, yeah, I can tell more about my experience, <laughs> but, but no, I, I, I appreciate that, that you know, yes, it, it is so important. And I'm so amazed to hear so many incredible women talk about um, the experience of being 
you know, a woman in this nation is, 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 is powerful, but to, to think about the fact that we're able to talk about it in an intersectional way for the first time um, and be damn proud of it is really exciting for me as someone who's been, you know, talking about uh, sexual violence and uh, microaggressions and privilege uh, to predominantly white folks for a long time. I'm like, damn, y'all want to talk about it now? Let's do it. I, I mean, that that's exciting for me because these are conversations that I'm sure all of us, um, especially those of us who are, uh, are black or brown, we know what it's like to be black or brown, um, but we only know it from our own perspective. And it's so powerful to hear it from other people's perspective and to see where we link up and where we are different and how wonderful that is. Um, and to have white allies in this fight is, is imperative because as we all know, you know, we're all, you know, what, what is, what is racism, honey? It's what we're all living through that that's our nation was founded on it. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, you know, to, to be anti-racist is to, to, and it's, it's going to sound scary is, but to upend the system. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean take to the streets and burn it to the ground, but it means take to the streets and say, y'all, we here, we here, we black, we queer, we, you know, we have disabilities, we are trans, we are whomever, and we all make up this beautiful country. And if we all can't be a part of the conversation together, then, then we're going to keep having these George Floyd moments. Mm. And when they are linked up with a global pandemic, um, you know, some folks better be scared because that means we ain't got jobs and we got something to say. <laughs> We ain't gonna stop saying it, uh, and so that's you know that that's the moment we're living yeah. through. And I'm so, I'm so excited that y'all are 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 having this conversation because we need folks with a platform um, to to lift it up and to say you know it's not gonna go away. And so we better engage with it. Mm. Yeah, Anthony, would you mind actually starting and taking it away when we're talking about what is racism? And everyone else can definitely jump in on this, but it's something that you see over and over again, just talked about in general, like, oh, racism is out there. And I think for a lot of people, it's like, okay, where? You wouldn't believe the amount of like comments or DMs that I get where people are like, I'm a nurse and I've never seen anyone be racist to like a patient or I'm a cop and I've never seen and blah, blah, blah. I've never seen Absolutely. this. What are you Absolutely. talking about? We've had the civil rights movement was 50 years ago. Um, Absolutely. My black mom and my white dad were able to get married. Done. Bingo, bingo, bongo. <laughs> I exist. Racism's gone, baby. No. And, and that's I, that's always what it boils down to is, you know, when I'm doing a program and talking about um, anti-racism, we have to start with with a definition. And that's where we get it gets scary is racism to me is this racism. This is the formula. Racism equals race prejudice plus systemic power. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets scary for some people. You give an example of a nurse. Sure. I bet that nurse has probably never heard a doctor walk in and go, Negro, no, 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 I'm not putting a needle near you. And so, and so that, that nurse has never seen race bias, you know, that they have not seen that race prejudice. I should not use the, the word bias because that's getting into brain stuff. Um, but that they probably haven't seen 
explicit race prejudice, but they probably have seen less black people in their hospital who are getting certain procedures done. Look at COVID-19, you use this example of, of nurses. Why is it that disproportionately black and brown bodies are dying at higher rates? Is because we can look at economics, we can look at uh, the malpractice of our healthcare system, the fear tactics that a lot of, uh, uh, that has been bred into healthcare, especially for black and brown bodies, that it's it's a, a huge hurdle for them to, to get over. And so, um, that's that, you know, when we look at racism, we have to understand that it is both the prejudice and the power. And so that's where you get into microaggressions and the implicit biases and uh, the stuff that it, it can slip by. And for those of us who are black and brown on, on the air or um, are a strong ally, we see it because you've been exposed to it. And once your eyes are open to it, it's really frightening. And that's always the hardest thing, you know, when I'm talking to audiences is once you come around to seeing it, it's really hard to unsee it. Mm -hmm. And I apologize. I apologize, but honey, that's been my life. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I see some people nodding because we know that, that that's the case. Mm. All right, Broads, we have to take a quick pause before we do and get into some of these ads from our wonderful sponsors. Um, the uh, money from these advertisements is going to all be donated um, to... Well, Some anti-racism organizations, and we want to hear from you. Exactly. We want all you other Broad Squad members to get involved. We will put um, on our Instagram um, in the next day um, different organizations and nonprofits that you would recommend to us. Yeah. So, yeah, let us know. Um, but let's chat. Do you ever feel like Becca? Your to-do list is never ending. Mm, yes, every day. Mm, yes, between work life, home life, and keeping yourself, your family, and your kids healthy, it's all too normal to have the days go past at lightning speed, which is why I'm always looking for ways to make daily life even slightly easier. Uh, one surefire way is skipping those lines at the grocery store or big box retailers and having all of my home pantry and beauty products delivered right to my door with... Thrive Market. Market. I love Thrive Market. Mm. I like how we try to do like a, a sing-songy situation. I like know, our I know. Other we advertiser. should go like, Thrive Market. Thrive Market. <laughs> that sounds like some weird like alarm, you know, like. Well, no, I'm okay. scared and I love Thrive. Okay, no, I love Thrive too. It's an <laughs> online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Thrive Market has every single thing you could possibly need around your house, from organic groceries and clean beauty products to pet food and safe supplements. And it's like having the selection of all your favorite healthy living markets, plus huge discounts, all conveniently available from the comfort of your couch. And speaking of comfort, fall and winter are hands down my favorite seasons because it's all comfort food all day, baby. I literally dedicated an entire Thrive Market grocery haul just to fall comfort food ingredients, seasonal broths, plant-based proteins to turn into hearty soups. And oh my gosh, they have the most amazing selection of baking mixes that I have all stocked up for those Friday mm. nights because by the fire, baked brownies, mm -mm, nothing beats it. Which, listen, you're going to save so much money on every single item like I did. On average, Thrive members save $32 per order, which when you break that down, all my grocery hauls, 32 bucks an order, that's mm. huge. Um, every time I check out with Thrive Market, I'm shocked by how much I save, truly. You can go save too. Go to thrivemarket.com 
slash chatty. Join today and you'll get a free gift of your choosing up to $24 in value. And these gifts are actually really good. I've gotten free gifts from Thrive before. Yes. And they're always stuff I actually want. So yes. love that. Anyway, that's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash chatty to start your risk-free membership. And you'll get a free gift today at thrivemarket.com slash chatty. So broads, if you've got a special someone on your holiday shopping list this year, there's a good chance you're freaking out trying to decide the perfect gift. Maybe it's a partner, a parent, or a gift for yourself. Uh, One gift that is always a crowd pleaser is fine jewelry from Majori. And before you start freaking out about the term fine jewelry, now consider this. Fine jewelry doesn't have to cost a fortune, especially with Majori. They make fine jewelry for every day that is handcrafted, ethically sourced, and it's made to last because Majori sells directly to their customers and they cut out the middleman. So you won't see any of the traditional market markups of fine jewelry. I think I've recommended Majori jewelry to almost all of my I friends. I have too. Yeah, everyone. I'm always like... I've had friends who are like, oh, I can only wear gold earrings. And I'm like, Majori. Majori. <laughs> Use my <laughs> code. Let me, let me tell you about Majori. Um, I've been wearing their pieces for a little over a year now. And let me just tell you, the quality is unmatched. I have a set of gold rings. I'm wearing them right now. I wear them almost every day. Every day, mm-hmm. yes. Even mm-hmm. to wash dishes, uh, shower, and seriously, not a green finger in sight. They still are just such good quality after many, many washes. Um, It all comes back to the quality of their materials, 14 karat gold, sterling silver, and even real diamonds complement sleek designs that look equal parts timeless and trendy. You just have to pull up their website, Broads. Mm. You're going to lose it over their amazing pieces. There's so many cute, cute, sexy pieces. And Majori believes that fine jewelry is for everyone and every day. Their pieces are perfect, whether you're working from home, you're out on the town or you're looking to give the perfect gift, you can visit Majori.com slash chatty for 10% off your order. That's spelled, I mean, we're saying it very fancy. It's spelled M-E-J-U-R-I.com slash chatty. You'll get 10% off your first order. Yeah. And from like my learning and understanding of racism growing up, there was two forms that were described to me from my mother. So it was like the overt racism. So the derogatory language, the behavior that was harmful to groups like minority groups. And that's what kind of like my mom showed me growing up was just like, you know, if someone says this or someone does this, you know, that's racist. But what I learned growing up was that there's very many like covert racist forms. So those were more subtle and those were, kind of embedded in society in ways that still show direct like discrimination and prejudice, but it forms into microaggressions. And I definitely experienced more covert racism that I had to challenge and try to understand what that was and really being like, was that racist? Like, oh, I don't know. Oh, they're my friend. Was that racist? Mm-hmm. So um, learning the, the different forms of racism um, and how other people haven't could be racist towards you or the things that you might say that you might not assume is racist right off the bat because you're not outwards with it um is has been a learning process and also just unlearning all the things that you could have seen growing up or been a part of growing up and just wanting to say like okay that was racist that Mm. i participated in that or i said that Mm. as well um and yeah i think that those those different forms of it showing up continues to be in like everyday life as well um through social media and just when you have people in power saying things and it's being challenged as well and it's like no it is racist but it's showing up in different forms so you're also talking about are you touching on also how maybe you can hold beliefs about yourself 
because of maybe what society or culture has taught about who you are because of your race? Was that was that also sort of what you were saying? Because I find that really interesting. Yeah, like in terms of it being more like covert racism and and like micro aggressions of it saying like, you're really pretty for a black girl. Mm -hmm. So I'd be like, oh, okay, uh, thank you. (laughs) Like, I'd be like, I don't really know how to take that. But then realizing later that they were pertaining my beauty only to a certain point because I, because of the color of my skin. Um, and it's, it's really, it gets sometimes still challenging to decipher when people are like saying things because it's so, it's kind of thrown in as like a compliment or a joke or an exemption. And I'm just like, Oh, but all of those are still not okay. Hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. I love that idea of, you know, it, it, you, you bring up, Becca, that idea of the internalized racism in terms of, you know, there's so many marginalized communities that have been trained to internalize that crap, you know, that, that women are taught to internalize that idea of what it is to be a proper woman, as, you know, as, as a male identified person, you know, that I have to have a certain set of muscles if I want to be seen as mask and as a, you know, as, as a, as a black queer man who's, you know, I, I, yes, I'm married to a white woman, which I just found out she's white. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it, it, you know, I I internalize so many different things and we can talk about all of the different identities that we hold and how those identities uh, we were trained what it is to be a black person, what it is to be a man, what it is to be an American citizen. And and how you fit on that power pyramid, right? And, And how much, how much power you can claim is, is sort of, feels writ into mm. absolutely into the world already. Yeah, and in terms of race there's that colorism. That you know you're you're sort of talking you're you're beautiful for this, you know, your hair mm. is great. Can I touch you know that there's all of that stuff. I I you know I think about you talk about personal experience. I didn't find myself beautiful until 25. Mm. That I would find reasons to, you know, especially as as a as a person who is of a black and a white parent, that I was never black enough, I was never white enough, and even within, uh, you know, mixed race culture, I wanted this feature or that feature, and I was trained because we all grew up with the same stories and movies and TV shows of what is attractive Mm -hmm. that I was trained to go, Oh, I don't look like any of those folks, but I can aspire to be like this or that. And the few black heroes or the few black images that were out there, I, if I didn't look like that person, damn, you know, then it's, then it's even harder. Um, When you talk about what is racism, we're all, Mm. you know, the hard truth is we are all racist. We are, and I apologize to say that because we all have contributed to a culture that is fundamentally built on white supremacy. And I know that that's scary and, sh- as, mm-hmm. and so hard. Um, and people can't even take on privilege, let alone white supremacy. <laughs> and they're like, but I don't have no tiki torches <laughs> in my garage. You don't need them, honey. You don't need them, honey. We spend our money, we spend mm-hmm. our time, and we put our efforts towards things that are inherently racist. And what is anti-racist is what we're doing right now, which is to shed a light on it, Mm. to expose it in order to eventually inoculate it. But, you know, we we have to sometimes say the scary truths in order to, um, to face it that, you know, that I have to admit that I didn't find myself beautiful till 25 to now look back at it. And I know y'all are like, that's the voice of a man who could barely be over 25. And I'm a couple of years just over it. Um, But I'm on the other side of it going, damn, that was wasted time. That was wasted time. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I'd like to add on to some of that, um, both of what um, everyone has said so far. Um, so in terms of, I remember Anthony mentioned, um, you know, internalized racism within the healthcare system. And it reminded me of something that one of my friends shared. It was a, um, on Twitter, it was a picture from a page of one of the Pearson nursing textbooks that was published in 2017. <laughs> and it was on how to treat patients of different races and white people were not listed. It was Native American, Latinx community, Asians, and it gave like a list under each group of what type of patient they are. So for example, black people, it said black people uh, might be aggressive and say they're in pain when they're not really in pain. Mm -hmm. That was 2017. You can actually find this. This is on my highlights. Yeah. You can go and see the the picture of it. It's on my highlight on my page. Yeah. If anyone is doubting this, it's definitely a very real thing. Sorry, please continue. I just, yeah. If anyone wants to go look at it, it's a thing. Yeah. And just look it, look it up, Pearson. They removed the page. But, you know, professors, they say, if you want to get a cheaper book, get the 2017 version. So, <laughs> like, it's people are still reading it um also to go off of you know that internalized um racism i'm um biracial so i wouldn't consider myself white even though i have white skin because i've experienced things and i've been told different things my entire life but i'm not black because of my skin but um i remember going through auditions and stuff for school musicals and plays and I was like I want to audition for this lead that is white and I knew that people in the past hadn't gotten roles but they were great for it because they weren't white so I knew that because I am on that line where I can be seen as white or black I would always straighten my hair for auditions because I felt that the that the directors would see me as worthier for roles, which now that I think about it, that I've been thinking about it this past year, I just find it sad mm -hmm. <laughs> that I couldn't walk into an audition for Wendy with curly hair. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah. I think you're touching though on like a more lighter note of what is maybe survival tactics for people because, and maybe we can discuss this a little bit if anyone wants to jump in, but how it, if you're closer in proximity to whiteness, either by your appearance or your partner or whatever, um, that could make you literally physically safer or give you more privilege, like you're saying, access to like a role in a play or much more, much more, you know, serious things. Yeah, I, I definitely know I have privilege, which is something that I think about a lot. Um, but for, so there's another example I had. So depending on where I'm at, people can tell they're like, are you, are you black? <laughs> and I'm yeah. Um, so I, throughout my life, um, I've had different times where I've been treated fine, but 
I've also been around white people who think it's okay to say the N-word in front of me because they don't know I'm biracial or maybe they do, but they don't just don't care. Or I've had friends when I was little who my mom told me that their parents didn't want them to play with me because I was the biracial bastard mm. in Christian school. So like it's, it's, I understand my privilege, but I'm also scared at times. Like I, I'm scared to go down south. I'm scared to go into Pennsylvania. Like it's just, it's just different, I guess, wherever you're at. I can speak a little bit to that as well. I, um, I am not a biracial person. I am sort of undeniably black. Like when people look at me, they see a black girl. But as someone who was transracially adopted and grew up with white parents, I, I too feel that I grew up with some type of privilege in the way that I present myself. You know, I was raised to sort of appeal to a, a white crowd. And so um, kind of as, as Catherine said, like I have had friends and my family members who say the N-word around me and don't understand like how or why that might be offensive because I am somehow seen as separate. They're like, oh, you're not black, black, you're our family member. Yeah, I can definitely relate to Ellie on, on that matter as well in terms of um, just being like a minority around predominantly white culture. I grew up in a small town, like an hour and a half outside of Toronto. And for the majority of my life, I was one of the only black kids that went to that school. And so in high school, especially, it was really a survival mode. Like it was a time when I just had to know that after this, I was going to be in a, in an environment with more cultural backgrounds. And so when kids would sing a song that had the n-word in it and they would turn to me and it was like all I wanted to do in that moment was cry Mm. because the word hits hard like it will always hit hard and everyone's looking at me and I'm just like oh no it's cool like it's it's okay it's cool it's cool you're my friend it's cool Mm. but I would cry Mm. like I would go home and I would cry about that because when you're thinking about like the friendships that you have at the time, it was like, am I willing to lose this friend? I just valued having that Mm. connection with people as opposed to even just standing up for myself. And so being in a small town where race is not really discussed or race was something that people would say like, oh, like our town's not racist. It's like, no, it's not racist to you because Mm. you get to live and not have the experiences Mm -hmm of people following you around in the store of like having to fear that your younger brother is going to get pulled over by the cops or anything like that. So I would have to battle when was I going to say something versus when uh, am I willing to lose this friendship over? So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, survival was key and still learning how to overcome that, you know? Mm. Yeah. That made me think of something. Um, I'm sorry, were you, go ahead, Andrea. No, 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 you go ahead, it's okay. Um, yeah, I, I grew up in Arkansas, which, you know, it was not a very diverse place, but I didn't, I lived in a pretty liberal place and, and I didn't see a lot of overt racism. I moved to Chicago for school and I'd lived there for 10 years and I'd tell people I was from Arkansas and they'd say, oh, it's, it's, it's kind of racist there, right? 
it's like racist in the South. It's bad there, racism. And that was really interesting to me because living in one of the most segregated cities in this nation, <laughs> Chicago. And it's just like, like, what? Yeah. And I think that that is what we're seeing with, you know, this George Floyd reckoning is that people are realizing that it's not just something that I can say, oh, it's over there in someone else's community. It's it's something I don't have to actively engage with. No, it is everywhere. It is it is in every community in America. And as beyond. and as we're hearing, it is so vastly different. And what is so sad is I'm sitting here going, oh, it's so beautiful how different all of our forms of racism are. Hmm. Because we have, you know, going back to because we've all been trained that we have to deal with it that it's baked into the system and that we just have to deal with it versus this moment that we're living through of saying, no, why should we have to live with it? There is a better opportunity. And I, I you know, Andrea was starting to speak and I, I you know, I don't want to speak to what you were going to talk about, but I think El Paso is a fascinating place having been there that it's this almost, um, porous, you know, city in which there are some folks who live and, you know, work and, and go back and forth. And yet it is so interesting, the, the, the type of racism that exists there that is different, you know, mm-hmm. because of this space that is sort of uh, white and brown. And and hmm. I think there, there is a good uh, small percentage of black folks there as well. But uh, I would love to hear your experience just as, as a person who's gone there and, and worked there. You know, what's the experience of, of living there and, and having that experience? Mm. Well, um, for people that don't know, um, El Paso, it's border with Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. Uh, so we're sister cities, right? We're 20 minutes away from one another. We have the international bridges, but we're sister cities, right? And growing up in a Hispanic community, you're always... And I remember this from my my grandparents, my grandmother, saying the whiter you are, the prettier you are. And we have been brainwashed that white equals beauty. And it's not. Beauty comes in all different colors. And it comes like our hair doesn't have to be curly or doesn't have to be straight in order for us to be beautiful. And you see that a lot in like Hispanic uh, uh communities that the wider you are it's like a social status and i'm air quoting because it's like oh i have more privilege than you are it's like what are you talking about we're we're still a minority and it's like we're fighting each other um instead of like helping each other mm-hmm. because over here um we do have a lot of people that come from juarez they come work here to el paso and then they go back to juarez because they live there because for whatever reasons they want. Again, it's a 20 minute car ride from probably their house to their job. And yet we're still discriminating to those who come here and work mm-hmm. and pay taxes and like, oh, but you're Mexican. I, I, I pay the same taxes you mm-hmm. do. Um, I do the same amount of labor you do do. And you know what? I'm getting paid less because we're Hispanic. Um, El Paso, I think... I'm lucky enough to live in a community that is mostly Hispanics. Um, I have experienced racism, not here in my city, but I have experienced experienced it in other cities. And, and, and you see it when, like Anthony mentioned, we do have African-Americans here, but it's uh, such a small 
population because mainly they're soldiers for Fort Bliss. Hmm. And you, I don't want to say you, but I say we, because I believe that we're part of the problem. We say, oh, that's, don't go to that part of the town because that's the black part of town. It's like, what are you talking about? Those are soldiers. Like, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. But, I mean, racism, it's a multidimensional problem, right? Because each there and every is. one of us has experienced racism in a very, very different way. There's and, not a... Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you hit on it so hard in terms of looking at what is white supremacy. Is It, it says that th there is whiteness in the center and all of us are trying to get closer to it, to get closer mm. to that sense of power and we will do anything. And so that means creating racial divides. Mm. I grew up uh, in a sort of, uh, I'm just gonna say, I grew up poor. And my, I only say that because my mom would be like, how dare you, I gave you everything. And, he did, and she's wonderful and honey, I love you, mama. Well, Michelle. Um, but, cause you know, she gonna listen, she gonna shout out. <laughs> uh, but that there was, th those racial divides are real. That it's like, at least you aren't this. Mm. We're better than that. And it's like, when you are given scraps, you are you you fend for yourself and you will push everybody out of your way in order to say no i deserve that scrap and that that's where it sucks is and i get it you know and, and the hard truth is explaining you know all of the stuff that we're talking about we keep dropping this the, the p word privilege and that's really scary for some white, white people and i get it because you may have grown grown up poor as dirt, you may have grown up with lack of education and all of those things and realized, you know what, I may be white, but I'm not seeing the benefits of it. And I get that, you know, it's the understanding of privilege is diverse. Um, but that, that for me, I always, when I'm explaining what is privilege, I go, you know, we have to stop and think first, release your booty hole. Cause you know, it just got real tight when you heard that <laughs> word. If you're white, you know that. Um, but it's that that understanding that your story has been told far more than anybody else's. The history books tell your story first and foremost. Mm -hmm. And that in the, you know, the, the, the race towards money and the race towards things, you are at the front of that line. And that we all on this line have different privileges. All of us on this, this you know, that I can see right now, we are all, you know, traditionally attractive people. And and, and higher than that, you know, all of us are, are, you know, quote unquote, traditionally attractive people. And so that that is certain doors are open for us. I can't tell, but it doesn't look like anybody has a physical disability. That is a privilege that we all hold. Now, we may have invisible disabilities. We may have other things that are, are not, you know, that I can't vi visibly see. But, you know, it, it's just it's it's it, they are different challenges. But we have to admit that some of us are a little bit further in line when it comes to this stuff. And, and that my experience, I also am a dude. I have a vastly different experience than all of you on this line. You know, as someone who's been talking about fighting sexual violence for the last 10 years, I know that I have a vastly different experience than all of you walking alone at night. And that is a privilege that I hold. Mm. Um, now, I am also a queer man. And I've had, you know, it, it, compared to my heterosexual uh, male colleagues, I have a different set of experiences being a queer identified dude that I have that are different than um, my heterosexual white cisgender dudes. Um, and so it's like we have to look at it from the different perspectives of all of us on the line. And I think we've all heard it. 
uh, thus far in the conversation. And it's sad, but I, I fucking love it. Excuse my language. No. Yeah. And I also think um, it's not only white people, like you said, that get a little uptight when you hear the word privilege. Like I have family members who are 100% Hispanic and they're not like as white passing as I am, um, who still have like achieved financial success. And they'll be the first one to step in and bring up that whole rhetoric of like, well, you need to bring yourself up by your bootstraps. Like I did it. So why can't everyone else do it? Ignoring the fact that they have privilege that they don't have as thick of an accent as someone else for some other reason. So then that gives them, you know, that gets them even closer, like you said, to this center or, you know, for whatever reason, they went to a better school just because they were in a better district for, you know, it may have just been chance. It may have been luck, but that's still a part of their privilege that took them to the place they are now. And um, and it's just interesting because there are 100% layers of privilege like we've been talking about with colorism, with wealth, all these other things. And all people who aren't like 100% white or white passing still, like we've been talking about, have to really examine what kind of bias we have and how we're not acknowledging the privilege that we hold in whatever unique way that we do. Mm-hmm. The thing yeah. is, is that racism is expressed in different ways and not everybody seems to understand what it is because there's no set definition of it. And you you can see it in the media. People don't want to be racist, but they are. And they don't they're they're not intended to offend people, but they do. And and you and, and you you can see it on the media how many companies have pulled out their advertisements because they were being racist. How many companies have pulled out clothing because they were racist. I mean, the, the, the most uh, recent one that I remember was the H&M one, that it was an uh, uh, African-American boy and he had a sweatshirt and it said monkey and there was like a white uh, boy and it said it, it was another animal. And it's like, you, your intention, intention wasn't to be racist, but you were. There's no set definition. Like um, when um, they pulled the uh, Aunt Jemima pancakes out of the market, People don't know this, but Aunt Jemima, when it first started, it was to make fun of black mammies. And people don't want to be racist, but they are. And it's creating a problem, a multidimensional problem, because there's no said, this is ra- this is this is racism and it is what it is. No, it's, it has different faces. It has different aggressions. It has different forms. And we all have experienced it differently. I love that you bring this up in terms of like, (laughs) I I am a huge antique person and I'm holding up. If you're on YouTube, honey, you are enjoying every second. (laughs) Oh, it's a, it's a black man. No, you get closer. He is a monkey with a tail and it is, he is just a candlestick. It's a monkey butler. He's a monkey butler. Harmless. He is one of many monkey butler things that I have collected over the years because our nation loves this imagery. And I know it is so hard for us to see it, but I have to buy it. I go to antique shops and people, you know, it's funny. You were like, no one wants to be seen as racist. We bought this one recently. And I said, I have, you know, it's racist. I have to buy it. And the girl was like, (laughs) Oh my God, tell me, where did you find it? And I was like, don't worry, it's coming to my home. No white person, except apparently my dang white wife. Why didn't anybody tell me about this? You know, that like, 
it, it is okay because I am going to house it and then I will throw it away one day <laughs> or be buried with it all just so that no one else has to see it. But our nation has this crap. And then it's, it's, you know, well, that, and it's, it's, I feel like it, it, you immediately get defensive. White people so immediately get defensive about these things and about microaggressions too, right? It's, it's, you start to learn about these things and then you do like a, like a, this is my life, like replay in your head of every single moment that you ever said something that might've been a microaggression and you like beat up on yourself and try to atone for it. And it's just like, no, let's just, it's in the past you know better now, like let's move into the future because it, it's, it's not, that's not productive. It, it, it's, it's yeah, good yeah. to examine these things, but we also can't like flagellate ourselves too much. How do you meet <laughs> your intentions with your impact? And when you make a mistake, do you apologize and move forward? You know, it's, you know, all of us black folks, I'm not going to speak for all black folks, but I'm not asking every white person to go through their past and give me a detailed receipt of every dang, you know, aggression that they've made. I just ask that they move forward and be better than they were today. Because we all are achieving that. We're all as human beings trying to be better than we are right now in this moment. And all of us, that's where equity, you know, where it comes Mm -hmm. to equity is equity means we all get to the same starting line Mm -hmm. and try to keep doing better than we are right now. It's just some of us have additional challenges. And so when we get to that place where, where those challenges are not just baked into the system, then we are truly equal, but we aren't there yet. All right, Brad, so we have to take a quick pause again. Listen, I can't be the only person that for everything in life wants to have their cake and eat it too, right? You know, you want to be able to drink the bottle of wine and not have the headache the next mm. day. You want to be able to stay up and uh, late uh, watch movies with my husband and then be fully rested the next morning. And I want to have a collection of bras that feel sexy but are also comfortable. Okay, that's what I want. First two, I haven't found a complete solution for, unfortunately, but now with the help of Third Love, I own bras that are super sexy and super comfortable. And Jess and I are obsessed with this company for so many reasons, and this is why I've recommended them to friends to before. For starters, they carry more than 80 sizes, mm. eight zero, with cups ranging from double A to I, including half cups and band sized 30 to 48. Thank goodness. Finally, inclusive bra sizing, not the 12 size options from traditional retailers. And to get you in the best bra, you'll start off by taking their Love's Fit Finder quiz to find your perfect fit in less than 60 seconds. Um, it's actually incredibly insightful. I had no idea that breast shape matters as much as size when you're finding a good fit. Truly, you learn something new every day, and Third Loves helped me with that. Uh, and back to my favorite part, these bras are, bras are so, so comfortable, which is thanks to Third Love's focus on quality from start to finish. No slip straps, a scratch-free band, and memory foam cup, cups are all just some of the details that Third Love focuses on to keep you comfy. Also, Third Love donates all their gently used return bras to those in need, supporting charities in their mm. local San Francisco Bay Area and across the United States. So far, Third Love has donated over $20 million in bras. I love that. Amazing. And Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now, they're offering your li- our listeners 10% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash chatty now and you'll find your perfect fitting bra and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash chatty for 10% off today. So broads, we've all been spending more time indoors this year, obviously. And as the days grow shorter, our time outdoors does as well, which means it's more important than ever to make sure you're staying healthy and breathing the best, cleanest air you can because broads, 
I read recently that indoor air can be up to five times worse than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Five times. And in Los Angeles, the outdoor air quality is already less than ideal. So five times worse than that? Not exactly what I want my family breathing when we're inside. So in our home, we use molecule air purification systems to take care of that. Um, Not to mention, we live in a part of the country where there's a lot of smoke in the air during certain times of year, a.k.a. right now. Smoke, smoke, smoke. Out of any air purifier on the market, Molecule destroys the widest range of pollutants, including viruses, bacteria, mold, allergens, and chemicals in the air. I've always had some sort of air purifier in my house, um, even growing up, but apparently... What was the point of that? Because traditional air purifiers collect pollutants on filters where they can then be multiplied and released back into the air. But with molecules breakthrough technology, pollutants are not only collected, but they're destroyed. Absolutely destroyed. We are more than a little obsessed with our molecule systems. They are so sleek and beautifully designed. They're some of the most gorgeous. They're they're chic. They're sexy air purifiers. Uh, We have them in uh, multiple rooms and they honestly look like a Scandinavian art piece, not like the clunky towers of yesteryear you Mm -hmm. might be picturing uh we have the molecule air for our bigger living spaces and the molecule minis in the bedrooms and as someone who suffers big time from allergies uh big time Mm. i can honestly say my sleep quality's improved drastically since we set one up in the bedroom oh my goodness oh so did ours we stopped waking up with like headaches and like sore throat situations i used to take these these uh, acrylic nails and just scratch my face and now it's like oof, no more thank goodness that sounds scary yeah (laughs) (laughs) for 10 percent off your first air purifier order visit molecule.com and enter code chatty at checkout again if you want 10 percent off your first air purifier order you gotta visit m-o-l-e-k-u-l-e molecule with a k dot com and enter code chatty at checkout molecule.com I have I have a question um, when especially right now, you know, and I know a lot of um, broads listening are white. And I think the thing that was coming up very often was the whole like, I don't see color. So I have a past type thing like I'm not, you know, overtly this way. I don't see color. Can you maybe explain how, first of all, that that's not the right approach? And second, maybe how that's affected you negatively that mm. perspective um i'll go yeah this that it just irritates me every time so i'm not gonna dog my family <laughs> because my mom told me not to plus i don't want to air all of our business but <laughs> <laughs> um uh so i have so my mom's family white um my dad's family black um but I mostly see my mom's family and every time I see them especially recently every time I get in the car with them or walk into the room they always start out by talking about how they're not racist or how they're like Catherine you know I don't see color Mm -hmm. I just I just see us all as the same or but then they'll say something um about like a black person like they'll turn I don't see color into, you know, Antoine Rose was a thug. Mm. So if anybody knows who Antoine Rose is, he was shot in um, Pittsburgh and killed 17 years old. Um, And so I was like, how do you go from I don't see color to Antoine Rose was a thug and he got shot because the police were scared of him, you know? Um, And then like, it also leads to the, fact that like you tell me you don't see color but then the next day you tell me that I'm acting a certain way and that's 
the black in me coming out. Like you're acting feisty. That's the black in you. Like it mm-hmm. doesn't. It or even if they don't see color, why are they bringing yeah. this up to you in particular in the first yeah. place? Why aren't they yeah. having the same conversation with the with the white people around them? Why do they have to yeah. make it a point to you? Yeah. Yeah, I found that the struggles with when people would tell me like they don't see color is that the message that they were telling me or the message that was being conveyed is that they're denying the significance of like mm-hmm. my racial identity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's almost like telling me that I have to uh, like assimilate into just what, like as if it was one culture. And it was just so problematic to me because I knew my background. So I'm uh, half Jamaican and half Zimbabwean. And so not how, or people, when when people tell me that they don't see color, I was like, so what am I then to you? Or Mm -hmm. what am I then to society? Because I am different. We're all different. And so, so to say you're not seeing color is you're, I'm just being a blended in, like, no, I'm my own unique individual. So I do not want to be put into a box. I do not want to be blended into anything. And yeah, it's just really about denying like my racial identity and my cultural being an identity. And your experience. So they don't have to take responsibility for it. Right. Like if somebody right. says, oh, I don't see gender and it's like, well, other people do. So I feel like I'm more in danger at night because other people men notice that I'm a woman. So that doesn't really help if you don't see it because I'm still having experiences that make me unsafe or make me feel unsafe, you know? Right. Yeah, it's it's such a cop-out from actually reckoning with the reality of the world for so many people to to say that I don't see color is just saying that I, I I live in a bubble where, where I can not see color, right? Like you cannot acknowledge racism when you haven't experienced it. And, and the more that we can empathize with other people's experiences and, and learn from them and, and not in a way that's like, oh, I'm a bad person because I didn't know this before. Right. I think that's why people get so scared about, about really examining this in their own life is because nobody wants to be a bad person, right? Anthony does this thing in some of his talks where he's like, let's all say it together. I am a good person, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it, we all have that ability. And because you acknowledge racism, it, it doesn't mean that you were a bad person before, you know? I, I, that, that phrase, I don't see race is also, you know, I all, also hear that. I don't care if you were black, red, yellow, green. And I'm always like, if, if any of us saw a green person right now, <laughs> I would pray that either we get some, you know, ghostbusters, we get some health professionals, or we get the MIB up in here because there is a problem, right? That, that you know, when we ignore that, that those issues, it's, it's as everybody is saying that it, it's this assimilationist idea mm-hmm. and that it ignores that what we are trying to say is that right now is not where we want to be. Tomorrow is where we are trying to get. And that if we don't acknowledge where we are today, we can't get there mm-hmm. because then we don't see the floor that we are all standing on. And that's all we're saying. You know, the, the attack on the 1619 project and the attack on the idea, you know, for, for me right now, I'm living through a moment where I do diversity, equity, and inclusion, inclusion, how hello, honey, I'm usually good at it, <laughs> education. <laughs> And an executive order now exists saying that what I do is anti-American. 
And what I do is the most American work that exists. Mm. It simply says that we are all different and that we, we get to fight, fight it out. We all have different ideas and the best idea deserves to be looked at and examined. But if we don't see each other for who we are, we don't get to the ideas. And where we exist right now is a place in which we don't see each other in which we are just seeing ideas of one another. Becca, as you pointed out, that idea of gender, you know, I talk, you know, I've spent the last 10 years, a lot of it talking to military folks about fighting uh, uh, gender inequity and, mm. and fighting and fighting sexual violence. And it, when I have those audiences that go, oh, I get it. Oh, I see it. It is very different. And I'm like, that's all I'm trying to get you to see. I'm not saying you're an asshole, terrible person. I'm just saying, look, we live in a society that sees things very differently, mm -hmm. that women who have sex are, are often seen as sluts and hoes or ratchet or puta or all of these racialized messed up images. Mm -hmm. And men who have sex are seen as a pimp, a playa, a stud, you know, maybe a, a fuck boy. Ooh, that's the worst of it. <laughs> and, and yet it's just the, the balancing act ain't, ain't, ain't equal. And the, the implications of such are not equal. And trans and gender nonconforming and gender fluid folks are left out of the conversation. And, you know, and, and so we're just trying to get to a place of if we can't see what's in front of us right now, we can't get to, as I like to say, tomorrow, mm -hmm. which is where we're all trying to get to. I think, too, to speak to what Anthony was saying about getting to that place of tomorrow and like taking it sort of back to this idea of colorblindness. Um, to, to express those ideas to, to children who are sort of just, maybe just experiencing racism or figuring out their racial ident identity, if they're biracial or whatever, you are denying that, that child the opportunity to, to fully experience whatever, you know, to fully grow into that and, and, and not validating whatever experiences they might be feeling. And so in doing that, we are sort of negating any work that we are putting in to to create this better tomorrow that that um, we've we've been talking about. And so that's what's really scary to me is is what the young people, what yeah. the children, the people who are just coming into their racial identities of today are seeing and hearing because they are the ones who are going to be living in this tomorrow that that we're talking about. Ellie, would you mind talking a little bit about your experience coming into your identity as a Black woman since you grew up, you were a transracial adoptee and kind of what that looked like? Did your parents acknowledge, when we're talking about colorblindness, was this something that your family and your community acknowledged was like your difference? Like, can you talk about that experience? Absolutely. So I, it's so funny because when I, as, as, as a little kid, very little, like I'd say five to, to nine, I true like when you when we we're talking about truly like not seeing race like I would dress up as Laura Ingalls Wilder or Anne of Green Gables mm -hmm. and and truly believe that I embodied these women and not fully I called white people pink I <laughs> didn't even understand because white people aren't you know white they're <laughs> a peach colored so I I didn't really understand this concept of race until I got older um, but my parents did a really excellent job. I grew, I grew up in Seattle and the specific zip code that I lived in 98118 
when I was growing up, it was the most diverse in the country. Hmm. And so I, you know, my neighbors across the street um, were transracially adopted. I had mentors and many friends who had grew up in situations that were identical to mine. And so hmm. I was really lucky in that I was surrounded by people who were who were in a similar situation to me. So when I was starting to create that racial identity, I didn't feel um, as ostracized, I guess, as as uh, I could have been. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, the problem with people saying I don't see color is saying I don't see a problem. That problem doesn't affect me. I don't have to fix it. it doesn't exist but because it's not because I'm not experiencing it. And people that say, I don't see color is people not accepting the history of this country, of how people came and they got slaughtered, uh, Native Americans, Mexicans, African-Americans. I mean, today in 2020, African-Americans have been part, they're, they're slave, they have been slaves more than they have been free. And, it's sad and, and, and you see it and people that say, I don't see color because those problems already passed. There's no slavery anymore. And you're like, is it really? Because you look at the prisons and it's full of African-Americans. It's, it's full of Hispanics because, you know, the prison system, it's a multi-billion. And let me say that again, billion dollar industry. And the more people you have incarcerated, the more people that are working with you, and you're like, slavery might not be as what it was that I have a plantation and you work here for me for free, but it has transformed into you do something minimal. Um, if something minimal, you get sent to jail for many, many years and you're still working for free. And it's like, are minorities really free? Are African-Americans really free? Are Hispanics really free? You know, not seeing color, it's not wanting to see that we have a problem of system, uh, systematic racism, because even when you fill up a form, one of the first questions that you ask, what's your race? What's your color? It's, the government assigns that to us because they need to divide us among us. They need to determine what the problem is and then assign it to certain areas. Oh, the crime is high because the native, the African-Americans live here. Oh, there's a drug problem in El Paso because Mexicans live there. It's it, it's those things of I don't see color. You don't want to see the history of this country because this country, the history, it's not black and white. It's it has a lot of red in it because it has a lot of blood and it has a lot of tears and it we're still suffering it. I mean, it's 2020 and a white man with uh, criminal a criminal record, it's more likely to get a job if he's competing with an Af with a minority, an African-American, a Hispanic, an Asian-American with no criminal history. That's racism that's right there. Just just go to the, to the prison system and the vast majority of people incarcerated, incarcerated are people of color. It's like, it's racism really gone? Do we, are we really free as minorities can i just say this group right here that, that andrea that 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 right there 
Put that on a bumper sticker. That is the next presidential election right there. Honestly, I mean, this is the reason why black and brown women are going to get us out of this, this, this stagnation that we are in. Because we have to look at, and I and, and I I mean this from the bottom of my heart, um, that it's it's it is that the experience that you have all lived that is all vastly different. Listen to this conversation thus far, and it is vastly different. All of the experiences. There are so many things on our Venn diagram that we may overlap, but you are all able to speak so beautifully to this moment and and say all right this is what I, and, and and yet i i can guarantee after all of this y'all are going to go back to doing your best damn lives because you're just like yeah i can look at that i can examine it harshly and then go honey i got i got plans later on it's covid so they ain't going to be external but i got plans you know and and that is what is the the, the powerful moment is you know, the folks that are so scared of privilege and the so scared of these conversations, it's because it trips them up and, it, and it's hard to examine and it's hard to take a hard look at it and to go, I'm okay. I'm looking at it. I'm examining it. It's really messed up. It is nefarious. It is deeply rooted. Cool. And I have to keep going on with my day. And those folks, they have a really hard time of looking at it, looking at it, looking at it and not feeling like, oh, that that's everything now. And it's like, no. That's just that's just the way it is, and we have to be better than this. Um, and so I'm just sorry, I'm just blown away by hearing all of the the eloquence on this phone call and the, the ability for you all to just so easily um, diagnose the issue so that we can do the hard work of of moving forward and being better. I'd kind of like to hear everyone's uh, personal opinion. Why is this so hard for some people to hear? And why are people making this whole, their whole work to dismantle these kind of conversations and, you know, have the bullet points of why this is untrue? And I'd love to hear everyone's um, opinion on this because, you know, it's not just, it's not just white people. And this is the first thing that white people will bring up, you know, like, oh, there are black people or there are Hispanic people or there are whoever who don't agree. You know, here's, um, what's her face? Oh, I can't think of her name. The, the Candace Owens. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you need to watch Candace Owens YouTube videos. You know, it's like, why are, where are there people like her and, you know, all the other people who are so invested in making what we're talking about a lie and undermining the truth of it? I would love to hear different opinions on this because they haven't experienced it that's why they're like doesn't exist they, they haven't they i haven't think it's beyond that though it. since there are people that that are black or who are brown who are making it their work to to negate the negate it and and i don't know if it's if they align it's if they align themselves with that worldview if they assimilate to that worldview they're closer to the power and that that's easier for them i think than than doing the hard work of dismantling the whole system or creating a new system it's 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 quicker it's the same reason you see like you see women slut shaming other women and it, you know, it's the same thing. It's like if I have that internalized misogyny and I have that worldview, then it makes me safer to be to be part of that power. If I can kind of go under the radar, that that's my take on it, at least. 
Right. You yeah. said the magic word investment. Investment isn't always money. Investment is that 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 exact idea of being closer to power. And and it's and it sucks. It's really hard, but it's easy to, to push down people of other racial or marginalized groups than it is to push down people who hold the power because they could crush me. You know, I can't I, I can easily crush other people who have less power than me. Yeah. And um, they could also have just years of confirmation bias built up. Mm -hmm. So like confirmation bias would be like looking for information to confirm your already existing beliefs. Mm -hmm. So if they've already built up years of having information given to them in a certain way, Mm -hmm. they're unable to detach um, their emotional like um, thoughts towards something. And they're so passionately driven one way. So it's about them having to work on unlearning and just listening and hearing other people's experiencing without associating their own like uh, thoughts and feelings from what they've learned growing up. Um, yeah. And it's, it's hard having those conversations with people who might be so set in those ways to like be having those ideas or saying that something doesn't exist or race doesn't, racism doesn't exist, but it's about the patience and the willingness and the drive to keep going. But of course that bears a huge emotional labor on yourself because you're now having to, you, like for me personally, I feel like, okay, now I'm just educating and now I'm helping them with this, but to make a change is to keep going to passionately just like push yourself to want to have these conversations with people who might not want to see things your way or just are so blinded and clouded. By the way, Andrea, I think what you said is 100% true. I think there's also just other reasons for people. I didn't mean to like shut you down with that, but I think that there is (laughs) other reasons too that are maybe a little bit more nuanced of, and, and like Anthony, what you were saying, the piece of grabbing at the scraps, you know, what can I get? How can I get you know, whatever I can to bring me closer to feeling like I have some power and some privilege because that makes life easier when I have those things. Like it's, it's, yeah. It has a cost. We have been, sorry, Anthony, we have been brainwashed into the American culture. Uh, We have been thought that, okay, you do certain things because of the color of your skin. And it's like, well, maybe I deserve this, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I and this is uh, ex- speaking for myself as a Mexican-American. Um, and this is something that I experienced in my community, in my culture. It's like, we have to prove that we're more American than the white Americans to feel that a sense that we belong. And then we have to prove to Mexicans that we're more Mexicans in them in order to have a sense of belonging because mm-hmm. sometimes like I, I go to Mexico and they're like oh you're not Mexican you're American it's like no I have the best of both worlds I have two cultures and it, it, it's part of that brainwashing that your culture is wrong your what you're doing is it, it, it's wrong how many I mean people glorified Cinco de Mayo but let me ask does anybody know why we celebrate that? And it's this huge, this amazing party and, oh, Taco Tuesday and Cinco de Mayo and tequila. But let me ask, why do we celebrate it? Why does it mean? Like, what does it mean? Because it's important in my culture, yeah, but it's not as important as, like, the revolution or, like, the Independence Day in Mexico. 
right? I mean, we celebrate it, but here it's like a big party, and it's like the Americans uh, try to to take whatever they can of its culture and then make it their own, mm -hmm. and then they labeled us as you're American, but you're Mexican. You're American, but you're African. You're American, but you're Asian. So try to like pinpoint who's different by your Mexican-American, your Asian-American, your African-American. And after a certain amount of time that we embraced it and we're like, yeah, I'm Mexican-American. I have two cultures. Now it's like, oh, there's a problem because you're embracing it too much when it wasn't supposed to be like that. So people, they're like, oh, racism doesn't exist. It does. You might have been thought to what things that they're doing to you, it's okay. Like earning less because of your last name. Like not being able to see a doctor when you need it because of where you live. Like not being able to have a good education system because of your uh, zip code. And we're thought, and we're, throughout life, we're, we're thought to, okay, you need to accustom and now you need to, be part of this American culture and you need to celebrate this if you want to be American because it's, it's the model that it's on right now. I'm a true American. I'm a true patriot. It's like, well, yeah, but the beauty of this country is that it was founded by immigrants, right? And you see people, oh, you, uh, in America, we speak English. First of all, America, and this is something that bothers me so much, it's a continent. It's not a country. We're in the United States of America. And America goes from all the way to Canada, all the way to Latin America. It's not, we have a pro, like, we made that word ours. It's like, no, first of all. Second of all, when your people got here, Native Americans have their own language. They were speaking Cherokee. They were speaking Navajo. It's like, I can speak whatever in Texas. Um, the name changed. It was supposed to be Texas. Like, we speak Spanish. You, you don't have the right to tell me what I can, I cannot speak here. Right? And we have been thought that you need to be true American and your culture, you put it on, on the side instead of, like, celebrating what makes us different. Because mm -hmm. that's the beauty of this country. There are a lot of stories to be told. And that's what's beautiful is that all we're at, we're not asking for white stories to never be told again. We're just saying, can we tell some more stories? There's more of us. And that, that, that as you're pointing out, a lot of us gave blood, sweat and tears to make sure and are still giving it and, and to, to make sure that, that all of our stories get to be told. It's just. But also the, the freedom to to have a different kind of story too, right? Yes. I think that you only see stories of marginalized groups that yes. are about the blood, sweat and tears. Mm, and yes. you don't see as many stories about the joy and just like yes. the mundane, like every day, right? White yeah. people just get to be like normal and boring in movies and, and black and brown people like have to have some terrible thing happening to them. Totally. So I think, I think as far as like, is white people go like we need to be investing in those different kinds of stories too. like go watch something else go watch like you don't have to just like sit down and watch 12 years a slave like go watch insecure or you know there's so much diverse media that that we can be supporting that 
mm-hmm. that gives different kinds of stories of voice. Absolutely. Black Girl Joy. I want to see it all the time, <laughs> every day, you know? I mean, it, 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 and and that it's normalized. It's That's all we're asking for is normalizing those stories um, because... Because we've seen we've we, we've seen the sad version of our story. Can Precious. we see? Yeah, can we see some other versions of it as well? It's saying like there's nothing wrong with being white. Of course, there's nothing wrong with being white, but there's also nothing wrong with being colorful. Like, look at all of us. We all have different color skins. We all have different backgrounds, and our story matters. And the way we tell it to people, it's like you know what? This is like there's more to the story. There's another side to it. And that's the beauty of this country was founded by immigrants. And we still need to move forward into making, because the American dream does not pertain to a white person. It pertains to all of us because all of us, we want a better future for our family. We, we want to better ourselves. We want a better quality of life. Well, it's interesting. Even, oh. oh, go ahead, please. Oh, I was going to say, forget the American dream. Like I've, learned enough that the American dream is just bullshit okay like it's it's just stupid we push our American dream into Latin America and try to change them into us mm. you know or we push it across the Atlantic trying to push the American dream over there you just forget the American dream like what even is it mm. the American dream is just white Mm. Or it's individualism, you know, it's like I may make thirty five thousand dollars a year, but you better believe I'm voting for the candidate that's not going to tax people who make over four hundred thousand dollars because maybe one day I might make four hundred thousand dollars. OK, and just in case, you know, it's like there's some quote by someone I don't fucking know. I don't remember who. I love that quote. It's my favorite. <laughs> But it's like socialism didn't catch on in America um, because we were all sold the lie that we're just temporarily embarrassed millionaires. Right. And it's kind of like a very similar thing with race is like, well, you know, one day I can fake it enough till I make it and I, too, can be a wealthy white man. You know, I just have to try to get as close as possible as I can to that. And it's interesting how. You know, I keep going back to the thing you said, Anthony, about like grabbing at the scraps because you see it so interestingly. Um, even white people will position themselves strategically in the way that benefits them in the moment. So like when we saw in the wake of George Floyd's murder uh, influencers, since I'm a part of that community, you saw people who never said a single fucking thing about racism because if they did, they would lose 10,000, 20,000 followers. So they never even mentioned it. They All they say is, you know, vote like Taylor Swift, like just cute vote. I'm not going to say who to vote for. Just like do your thing and vote because that's like the know. most non committal thing you could possibly fucking say. And then after George Floyd was murdered, you had people coming in the comment section saying, why aren't you saying anything? So then you have these white women going like oh my god okay what's gonna happen am I gonna lose followers if I don't say anything so instead I'll put a black square and I'll say black lives matter and I'll post a photo of myself at a protest because in that moment strangely enough positioning yourself closer to black people would benefit you in that moment and would give you more privilege two months (laughs) later forget about it don't say anything because then you might get the trumpers mad and you're going to lose followers again no becca you you spot june 2nd honestly this is the fun june 2nd is all i scroll back to on people's 
uh, Insta pages now because it's like, it, can I follow them or not? Let me see. Let me see. Because, and, and it's interesting. I, I go to June 2nd. If there ain't a black square, then I, I go and I look a little bit further. Maybe let's see if something happened since then. And some folks, you know what? They, they maybe didn't post that black square, but they posted a bunch of stuff afterwards. And I'm like, okay, good on you. That's actually more useful. That's some information. That's a page that I can follow now. But then there are those folks who post their black square and then they go back to their all beautiful white content. And I'm like, ooh, you know, you could have given someone else access to some of them followers for a couple of days, maybe lifted their voice up a little bit. And it's hard, you know, it's, it's like we're living in this different age of what influencing means. And it, I, I appreciate you bringing that up because it is powerful. You know, it, it, you have this amplified platform and you have the possibility of confronting some of those folks who may not know what privilege is and just softballing it to them. That's all we're asking for. I'm not saying you need to go to the, straight into their DMs and be like, hey, Logan from Minneapolis, <laughs> let's do this. Get on the FaceTime with me. I'm going to convince you one at a time. Like, no, I'm just saying post something every once in a while that gets Logan from Minneapolis. I hope you're listening. Welcome. Uh, to, to think about this stuff. Absolutely. I hope, Logan, I hope he and his girlfriend are listening together. Um, but, you know, that I, get them to just expose, be exposed to different voices and how that just can be so influential for them to just be like, you know what, I never heard a, a panel of multiracial people talking about their racial experience. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to be perfect. You know, that doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect from here on out, but I might think critically about this a little bit. Yeah. And I like want to add on to that. The performative activism since the black square is so real. Mm -hmm. And I do the same thing as Anthony. I'm scrolling. I'm like, who has the black square? Who has it? But then also within my own friend group, I'm finding like, so a lot of people from my small town, right? I didn't, nobody, always everyone saying there was no racism. Um, I don't see race or I don't see color. Now everyone's posting a black square 10 years later. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, what do you have to say? <laughs> they posted their black square. Maybe they posted how to be an ally on their story, right? First week of June and is now October, November. And I'm like, where where are you? Are you, are you here? And I'm not saying that it has to be public. I'm not saying that the work that you're doing to dismantle anti-Black racism has to be public, but you also have to show support because it is about sharing resources. It is about uplifting the Black community. It is about supporting people of color, the Indigenous community. Um, and being an ally is working within yourself as well, but also sharing. Like, I'm like, what is so wrong with sharing an article that you read about anti-Black racism to your Instagram story? Oh, because it's not trending like it was in June? Mm. So... I've had to almost want to get into debates with people because I'm just like, hey, what are you what are you up to now? Like, what are you doing now months later that you posted your black square? Because it, I'm seeing how real performative activism like is. It's people really just trying to stay face or trying to stay on trend to anything that's happening in the media or pop culture and just trying to stay like in the balance and then to not do it is seen as like, oh, you have a problem with racism, but it's equally not good if you're not sharing how you're growing. Right. Because it is still positive. Like, I feel like if you're going to share how you're growing, why are you embarrassed about it? Why don't you want to share it? So because maybe it's yeah. only about what benefits someone. Right. And maybe that's the root of it is like people are making choices that just personally benefit them in the moment rather than actually being interested 
in benefiting people who need who need the benefits. That's true. Yeah. Right. And you mentioned you mentioned earlier the emotional labor of it, and it's like who does the emotional labor of these conversations fall upon? Whether it's in an online space or in a person to person space, which we're not in so much these days. But uh, but yeah, I think that that is the work of being an ally is taking as a white person who has less at risk in these conversations to take on that emotional labor to say, hey, white friend white person to white person, that thing you posted, that thing you said, that was not cool, instead of making it fall on your black friend to do that work. Mm -hmm. Eleanor, were you saying something? So you yeah, good. I was gonna um, sort of add, I learned this term just the other day, um, hyperactivism, which um, is super, like, I'm in Seattle, and I feel like I see a lot of that in Seattle. And it's basically where um, white allies will, will occupy this space and essentially just drown out the voices mm of those whom they are, are fighting for, advocating for. And um, it, it sort of has caused the movement, I would say here in Seattle specifically where I'm at, to, to lose some of its integrity hmm. because those who are being affected from it, from what's going on directly um, are being drowned out and are not being heard. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I definitely feel like it was when everything did happen um, and after the murder of George Floyd and you're seeing all the black squares, it was, it seemed to go, either it was performative or then like you were saying, the drowning out of voices, which is then the other extreme. And I'm wondering for our white listeners, where, I'm trying to think the best way to put this, but if you're, if we're in a situation where, okay, now we're wanting to be allies, right? Now we want to be allies. Can we talk about emotional labor? What does that look like? How's, what's the best way? How would you all feel uh, most comfortable with someone trying to be an ally, but then wanting to get information like, how did you feel about this? How did you feel about this? You know, because sometimes I know even with Becca and I, when we're having these conversations and you all were so wonderful to be willing to come on, but then you wonder, okay, am I asking too much emotional labor from right. someone and putting that on them? Like, can, can someone speak into that? Also, just to piggyback on that, I read in um, Kevin Patterson's book, who we had on, um, uh, he wrote the book, Love is Not Colorblind. In that book, he touched on how sometimes like a microaggression or asking someone to do emotional labor is simply asking them something because they're this marginalized group. Like maybe you're not asking me like, oh, tell me about your trauma, you know, like being marginalized. But maybe it's even like, oh, how do you feel about this? Like, or what, you know, it's, it, and that goes into, you know, tokenizing when you're asking someone, whether it's like a queer person or a black person or a Hispanic person or whatever, because they are, you know, you're, you're almost like hyper, it's like the opposite of saying you're not colorblind. It's like then only fixating on that person's color as the only identifying factor of who they are. So then all they become to you is like, you know. For me, for me it always boils down to, Homework, self-reflection, and then true, honest relationship building mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I think of when I think of the number one microaggression I've received in my life, surprise, surprise, I've never met a stranger. I love meeting new people. I'm very <laughs> boisterous. Um, I know you all are thinking how wonderful of a thing. <laughs> um, no, but. I, how many times some of you who are light skinned, who are listening or are on the call right now, what are you, Anthony? 
I'm so what what mm-hmm. are you? You know, and and it, that is that is that categorization. It comes from a curiosity. Like, it, yes, like, absolutely. Oh, I just want to engage with you mm-hmm. about your culture. What are you? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I go, I know what you're trying to say, but the, the emotional labor is I know what you're trying to say and I'm taking mm-hmm. care of you right now, but I'm covering up the fact that that question makes me feel like a Martian mm-hmm. um, who is not human. And so, you know, for me, it's always homework. What, you know, I always ask, what have you read? <laughs> Your stack Literally, of books. Beautifully <laughs> color-coded books behind all I, Absolutely. Color-coded because they need to look cute. But every other book is probably race-related or gender-related or about, you know, it's like, there is plenty out there, whether it is, you know, published or it is on a Twitter feed or it exists out there. There is no excuse for you not to be able to do your homework before you go and engage in the second step, which is that self-reflection. Why do I want to know this? Is it genuine because I, I'm curious or is it just because I need I have this selfish desire that I need to have it categorized for me? Mm-hmm. And if it passes that test of, you know what, I genuinely want to know more. I am, I'm cu- curious from a humanistic standpoint. And I standpoint. have this relationship with the person, Yes, right? and that's it's the, the final thing. Yeah. And um, I'd, also, I'd also like to go off of what Anthony said. Like, yes, like, they'll be like, let me just like, what are you? And let me just like run my hair, hands through your hair and like get my hands stuck in your hair and then say something offensive. Like, why are my hands stuck in your hair? Well, but um anyways yeah so you need to like I know when to disengage I know when people are not genuinely asking because they care Mm. I know people are just asking because they're trying to start an argument and that's when you just disengage because it just gets so stressful and then you start getting anxious and getting panicky and tight um but I was going to definitely say they need to do their own research, like listen to a podcast, listen to like Rachel Lindsay and Van Lathan talk about it because they talk a lot about it and black people and people who support the platinum plan and why, and then read books, you know, just like Anthony said. So like, just do it yourself. And then if you want to have a conversation with the person, just don't make it too heavy yeah I would say like growing up for me the emotional labor was like being the only black kid in my class and prior to me coming to the school they hadn't even talked about black history that was not even talked about so my mom demanded that they to start discussing black history but what that turned into <laughs> was that the teacher was like okay now we're going to talk about race me so like do you want to oh, like you're you the consultant and i'm in like seventh grade and oh, I'm professor, professor like, <laughs> racism segregation oppression to people who, and it's just it's it was traumatizing and i've realized like my passion um i've graduated with a bachelor's in psychology i worked in early childhood education i'm a former nanny so my passion is working with children and understanding that the root of trying to get other children of minority to not bear that labor is to teach children mm. about race, to have open discussions about race. The daycare that I worked at had, was amazing with having these open discussions about kids from different cultures and having these kids from different cultures talk about um, or express anything like that's unique about their culture or teach the other kids some like 
phrases or uh, words that they might know. There was there were also kids who just didn't even speak any English at all. So it's part of us as educators to learn their language and not to assume that they're just going to speak English. Um, but bearing that emotional labor all these years of always having to be the one to explain Black culture, always having to be the one to let them know, like, why one day I came to school with 18-inch Brazilian hair and the next week I came to school with braids. It was mm-hmm. like, it was like... Because I you could, because it was beautiful. I would just get so tired. I told people, I'm like, go watch good hair. Like, I can't anymore. <laughs> I'm like, just go. Like, And now I'm realizing that the work that I want to do to to talk to people about it and having friends come up to me years later and say like, you know, I'm so sorry for these racist things I said to you in the past. I'm willing to have those conversations because I am seeing that people are, are wanting to grow, but there is that difference of people who don't want to do the work and almost just want you to push them with like resources Mm -hmm. and also having those open conversations with people because they want to also um, learn from your own personal experience and also how they can be a better ally um, as well. So, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think if people want to be like allies, first things first, we have to recognize that there's a problem and that racism exists. That's the first thing into wanting to become an ally. There's systematic racism and people don't want to see it. And it is what it is. We live in a racist country. It, it, it's true. We we do. And uh, saying that we don't, it's just living in ignorance. It's we need to acknowledge that there's a problem, but we need to acknowledge how to fix it. Because we see uh, 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 we see politicians, and and I, I remember, and I'm never gonna forget this. When Trump started his campaign, and he's like, "We're gonna build the wall because Mexico." When Mexicans come, they don't send the finest people. They send rapists, they send drug addicts, they send criminals, and let's build the wall. And it's like, so there's a drug problem. Let's build a wall so Mexico can stop it. Or like, um, there's we have a terrorism problem. It's the Muslims, you know, problem. Uh, there's crime in a certain area. Oh. It's the African-Americans that live in that area. No, we have to recognize there's a problem. What's causing this problem? I mean, you're saying that Mexico brings in all of the drugs, but you never analyzed well. What makes the United States the number one country in the world that has drug problems? Mm -hmm. You know, because drugs are also not coming here illegally. There's an opioid crisis because of doctors are prescribing uh, a lot of opioids and a lot of drugs that people don't really need. But instead of seeing the problem, you're like, let's build a wall. This is how we fix it. This is how the drugs are going to end if we build a wall. Right. It's like there's and a common people- denominator here. <laughs> it's yeah. not all the other and, people around our country. Exactly. And uh, again, living in the border, I mean, there's already a wall there. I mean, there's we have the river and you can see like... Across it, you can see the houses and it's squatted and there's already a wall and people started to build a wall foundation and they want to make a thicker wall. It's like building a wall, it's not going to stop the drug problem in America. And instead of like, because I've seen stories, it's like, oh, it's because my son died of, you know, drug abuse. I'm, I'm sorry that your son died of drug abuse. I, I truly am, but... 
Mexico might not be responsible for it. Maybe it's it might be a, you know, maybe it, it might be big pharma. It might be the yeah. doctor that he was lazy. And instead of like, you know, seeing a full evaluation, it's like, oh, I'm just going to give him like three times whatever. And he's going to get fixed like that. And I don't have to see him ever again. Or there's a Muslim trying to, uh, to build uh, their, their temples. And it's like, oh, Muslims, they're being in terrorism. They're, they're, they're the the 9-11, it's because of Muslims. And no, I mean, we have to recognize there's a problem. We're part of it and we need to fix it. And what's the root of that problem? Muslims are not the reason why there's terrorists. In Mexico, it's not the reason why there's drugs. Um, black communities are not the reason why there's crime. Mm-hmm. What truly is the reason? And you don't even have to go that far. You can... Just go grab a history book if you want to learn that. If you say that there's no racism, like first and first example, like I always sit like slavery. There's racism right there. Like there's the Braceros program. People might not know that uh, the uh, there was this program many, many, many years back where Mexicans were building their railroad system right here in the south and American they were promised American citizenship and they were promised like, they, they weren't even promised to get paid. Like, and if they got paid, they got a dollar a day and that's saying too much. And then when the railroads were finished, oh, they got deported back to Mexico. The railroads, nobody talks about that. You, we need to, we need to be open and we need to educate ourselves because we live in a world where we have the technology like right here. Like if we don't know something, we can just Google it like right here. If you don't want to learn it, it's because you don't want to. And what's powerful is as you're telling us this, this sort of examination, looking back, Shamiso has handed this gorgeous, <laughs> gorgeous <laughs> melanated child that I am just wanting to just <laughs> and that so that's cute. our future that that's our shared future you know that that at the end of the day all we are trying to get to is a place for this angel look at that smiles <laughs> that this little just this little angel is given his shot to to you know do what he has to do and make it amazing but i i, I simply want to say we all need to be taking care of ourselves all of us no matter our identities that you know, it's it, we're, we are living through hard times. This pandemic is not easy on any single one of us. And this election has been hard on all of us, no matter who you are voting for, who you have voted for. But we have to, you know, take this moment of self-care because this baby represents. Um, the, well, the we want to build a better future for everyone. He we're working the best. Yeah, we are. We all have to keep doing this work that to be an anti-racist means that we simply acknowledge where we are and we have to um, to get into the fight and, and make things better. And that that's OK, that it's OK to, to, to that, if, that it's going to be difficult, but that baby is worth it. We are, you know, all of our future generation is worth it. Mm. Well, listen, here's the thing. We have so many first thank you so much so many beautiful voices on this panel i know there's numerous people so we didn't get to hear deeply about each and every one of you i know for instance Catherine, you had your list of books i want to hear it if it's all right with everyone here and we can talk then off camera if it's not but broads if we could put 
um, social medias, etc. in the episode notes. If you want to share um, certain resources or book books that you wanted to before, you can send them to me and we can have them all in the episode notes and post about it all day of. Um, but we want to be able to hear from all of you more. And thank you so much for this conversation. I know it's, you know, we're just barely putting a little toe in. A but, drop in the ocean. But to be able to hear from all of you and i think i think for so many of our listeners there's there's a family here we've had so many listeners especially for instance on our facebook group who've connected and so to hear from like broad family and for you all to be willing to share and be vulnerable it means so much and um yeah thank you truly thank you Thank Thank y'all for providing the platform for us to share. Thank you so much. This is the first Broad Squad panel, and... (laughs) I think it went pretty well. I think it went pretty well. Thank you. Thank you all. Thank you all so much. And Broads, again, we will be having a part two that will be coming out... With a whole new panel. A whole new panel next week, uh, next Friday. That's 11-14, I think. I think. Wow. Just pulled that one it's off the top. Birthday. <laughs> Happy, oh, birthday, Happy birthday, Catherine! <laughs> <laughs> well, Broads, we love you again. We're recording this on Monday, so we don't know, you know, what happened uh, Tuesday. We're not sure where where we are, but right now we know we have some ideas of how we can move forward as a community together, work on being allies, being anti-racist. Thank you all so so yeah. much, Hillary Clinton. I, right? <laughs> 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 and Broads. Chat soon? Chat soon. Chat soon. Bye. Bye.